The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. Just before I talk to you about COP27, what's this idea that France has for all its large car parks? Uh, good afternoon, Matt. Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting innovation. Basically, what the what the French authorities have, have, have instructed car park owners up and down the country is that they're required now by law, and this is for larger car parks, I think with over 70 uh, units, they're all now going to be required by law to cover those car parks, those public parking spaces with solar panels. Now, this is something, Matt, that I actually encountered uh, this summer in France and I actually tweeted about. It's fantastic because when you go into the car park, the first thing you notice is that you've got shade. So they, in warm countries like France, they work brilliantly. So it basically means the cars are, are when you park in, in a car park, instead of it being, uh, if you like, a, uh, an asphalt uh, sort of sweat box, which is your normal experience in a car park uh, on the continent. Instead, you actually pull in and you park under what feels like a canopy, but in fact, it's solar panels. And of course, in turn, these can be connected to um, electric car recharging stations, like so you can literally pull in and charge up. Now, people might say this sounds like a bit of a gimmick. And I mean, really, it's a small scale thing. But what's amazing about this particular innovation, Matt, is that they're looking at it producing uh, in the round the equivalent power for uh, as produced by about 11 nuclear power plants. So France currently has about 59 power plants uh, online, nuclear power plants. So this would be adding the equivalent of, of as if they were to commission another 11 power plants. But the difference, of course, here is that uh, there's no big deal about uh, adding in uh, adding in additional solar panels. All you need is the, is, is the kit. Uh, installation is relatively simple. And of course, there's a payback for the, for the installers. There's a payback for the, for the car park owners. And basically, everybody wins. Would it be expensive, though, to do? Not especially. And this is the point, Matt. Like any investment, and I think the, this has been coming down year after year, uh, like installing a commercial installation like, well, like we've just described there. Uh, a few years ago, I was, I was hearing that there was a, basically a 10-year payback on your, on your investment. Now that could be down to three or four years. That basically means you've paid the whole thing off in maybe less than five years. And after that, basically, you, you, you're in pure profit. So from the point of view of the commercial operators, these are fantastically effective. And it is one of the paradoxes, Matt, of, of a country like France, which was such an innovator in nuclear power, that strangely enough, they lagged behind the rest of Europe in renewable energy. It was almost like the thing, uh, France has this uh, concept called dirigisme, this, this central planning, and they seem to not grasp renewable energy. So many of their neighbours, like uh, Denmark and so on, uh, and Germany even, stole a, stole a march. Denmark with wind, uh, Germany with solar. And on that, by the way, I, we may have referred to this before on the show, but Germany currently produces 10% of all its electrical requirements are coming from solar. And most of that, Matt, is domestic solar. It's been enormously successful. And that's a big, big country with a, with a huge electricity demand. And, and uh, that just shows you that, that these steps can, when you join them together, when you connect up solar, when you connect up renewables, add in a bit of nuclear, and you begin to move quickly in the right direction. Listener says, that's the difference between France and here. If I was living in France, I would have all my sheds covered in solar panels and be making money from them. But in Ireland, the electricity companies won't pay enough to make it viable. That is a complaint for a lot of people who feel they could be contributing into the grid and getting money. On that idea of the car parks, though, John, it does strike me that I can think immediately of two places that that would work brilliantly or it could. Big surface car park at Houston Station where people park their cars before they get on the train and maybe out of the Red Cow as well but there's a big surface car park for people who are getting the Lewison to Dublin City Centre. 
Absolutely. In fact, if you take any suburban uh, shopping center uh, in a, they're around Dublin, around all our major cities, uh, all of these are uh, perfect prime space because essentially that those those car parks are dead space. There's nothing else we can do with them. So why not turn them into energy harvesting uh, opportunities? And really, the structures, by the way, in case people are trying to visualize these, the structures are really quite straightforward. Uh, it, they probably stand about 12, 13 feet. So it's comfortably over the height of the car or, or even a large your vehicle like a like a, a camper van uh, and and yet underneath them you have this this as I said pleasant and cool now in Ireland of course they can also double up to keep the rain off you so uh, uh, obviously in France they're great as a sun shield but they would have that that additional value in Ireland as well of making your trip back to the car uh, maybe a little bit drier okay um let's go to cop 27 success or failure so far do you think John yeah, as ever, Matt, these, you know, the rhetoric is great. I mean, I, I was listening to Michal Martin's uh, leader speech the other day. And, and, and for those who haven't heard it, I hope you don't mind if I, if I replay a little bit, the bit that really stuck with me, he said, as leaders, he was referring to his fellow politicians. He said, as leaders, we must lead. Our citizens will become increasingly cynical, weary and hopeless if words are not urgently matched by deeds. And, and I was wondering when, when he said that, you know, was he really sending a message back to the folks back in Ireland to say, listen, guys, we have been so far behind the curve on this. This is getting deeply embarrassing for politicians like me to have to go to international conferences and pretend that Ireland as a rich first world country is actually acting up when we, when our major source of emissions, our transport emissions have more than doubled since 1990. Our agricultural emissions have gone up by 20% in the last 10 years. It's a, it's, disastrous and it, it's getting tough for politicians like Michal Martin to have to get up there on the international stage in front of fellow world leaders and basically say guys we need to do much better but obviously in Ireland at the moment uh, we're not doing better we're, 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 we're way behind. Give us that stat from 1990 again what was it? Yeah yeah. transport emissions Matt in Ireland have risen from 1990 to 2020 by 112 percent. Okay right? but now, is that not part of the fact that the economy has developed so much over the last 32 years since 1990. The number of people at work has more than doubled. Now, those people have to be able to get to and from work. And if there aren't buses and trains available, then they're going to use cars. You're absolutely right. Now, when you factor that in, of course, we've had a significant decrease in population. But the best way to do it is to break it down per capita. And what we can see is that Ireland's transport emissions per capita are 40% above the EU average. So that means when you remove the increase in population and break it down per capita, we're completely out of whack with our European neighbours. And why is this, of course? I mean, th- these are problems that we know about. First of all, we have an unusually dispersed rural population. We have something like 400,000 once-off houses, many of which, by the way, have been constructed in the last 20 years. And they're, of course, baked in car dependence and forcing communities and forcing people into cars and leaving them with very little choice. That's part of the issue. And of course, we have a chronically underdeveloped public transport system. Kind of breaks my heart, really. I think back to 1984. Uh, I remember arriving in Dublin in 1984 and there was a shiny new electric train mat called the Dart. It was amazing. There it was. And here we are, what, 35, 38 years later. And all we've managed to add in, you know, heading for half a century is the Lewis. And See, it just, John, you know, think that's the problem I think a lot of people feel is that the things that need to be done don't get done, but yet at the same time the restrictions are been placed on what people can do or else they get carbon taxes levied on them. That, you know, if there were all of the trains and buses available, 
they would use them, but they're not. So why should they be punished for using cars as an alternative to something that isn't given to them? Yeah, I completely understand that argument. And I guess it goes back to the old uh, chicken and egg situation that, you know, like we, we need to have a push and a pull. So, for example, we know that people are obviously still buying lots and lots of, of cars, but not only are they buying cars, Matt, but they're buying bigger cars than ever. Despite all the arrival of electrics and hybrids and so on, the average Irish car now uh, is your typical Irish new car is actually an SUV. These cars are heavier and heavier on fuel, in fact, than, than cars that were on the road 10 years ago. Now, what that says to you is that rather than this transition away and away from kind of car dependence, in many ways, we're actually doubling down on it. And that has, has to do, again, with probably the wrong signals being sent to people. And you are right, of course, you have to, you have, these things have to work together. But let me give you a quick example. In Paris, they made a decision. Paris, for those people who've driven through it, which I did actually three years ago, and it was a nightmare. It's a horrible city for cars. Absolutely choked with cars. Beautiful city, horrible to drive through. So what France have done through, or Paris has done through a particularly proactive uh, mayor, is they have basically taken city space away from cars. And they have They've provided for active transport. And what you've gotten, the effect of that hasn't been worse congestion. It has actually been a huge improvement in people's experience of the city centre. Not just tourists, Matt, but people who live in Paris. It also creates space for um public transport, which again, we see here in Ireland, our public transport is choked off the roads. Our, our, even, even our, even our, um, bus lanes are full of taxis, for example. And, and that leads to inefficiencies that, that we have to, that we have to sort of try and cope with. And that's one of the issues that, that has arisen that we're stuck with. Uh, now, can we, wait for our transition until we have a perfect public transport system? Of course we can't. All we can do is work with what we have and combination of, if you like, carrot and stick, where we, we encourage people towards towards using public transport and so on, and we also discourage them, particularly away from the gas guzzlers. Okay, just a final thing. There's a listener suggesting one of the car parks that would be brilliant to use would be Dublin Airport for those solar panels you were talking about earlier. Uh, but of course I see today as well that Dublin Airport has been named as Ireland's biggest polluter at COP27. But as I'm looking at the details and that, I also see Dublin Airport was boasting at the end of 2020 about becoming carbon neutral. How can you be carbon neutral and be the biggest carbon polluter at the same time? Yeah, and it's an unusual dance that big polluters like like airports have to do, where they will talk to you about... Uh, the the fact that they've installed recycling bins and so on. And what they really want are saying is don't look at the, the big, what is really driving pollution here, of course, which is the amount of people traveling through our air, airports, the number of flights. That's what drives it. I mean, in Dublin Airport's case, uh, I think we're talking about over a million tons of carbon emissions a year. It's very substantial. And that's really the, the key driver for, for, for airports. Uh, the small stuff, the, 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 the recycling your, 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 your waste baskets, all that kind of material, that's grand, but that only achieves at the edges. And this is something, Matt, that you and I have talked about many times. Uh, we're very keen to, to, if you like, to, present our green credentials and for different organizations like this to put forward a good story and to say, look, we're making progress in this direction. But unfortunately, uh, the statistics don't lie. And it's impossible for a, an organization like Dublin Airport, given the, given the, if you like, the increase in passenger tra- traffic through it and the huge impact that goes with that. Uh, on the one hand, to say we're, we're carbon neutral or we're heading towards carbon neutrality on the one hand, and on the other hand, to be pushing an expansionist model. The two are just incompatible. Thank you very much, John Gibbons. 
The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here.